there. Welcome to the Evan Hawk Podcast, your source for Star Wars news and all things Knights of the Old Republic. Spoiler alert for the Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films, TV shows, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Welcome to the Evan Hawk. Uh, we're glad to have you. Um, could you introduce yourself and uh, what you do? Sego Zalguego, Ali Huni Jungetz. My name is Huni David. I am of the Akwesasne Mohawk Nation. I was raised in Akwesasne and I'm a big old nerdy artist, big old native nerd over here. I've been drawing since grade school. Started off with dragons and dinosaurs and that, as we all do. It is the, it is the way. I work now as a freelance artist as well, and my social media is Hoonid, Hoonid, as some like to call it. What draws you to Star Wars, or what are some of your favorite uh, subjects? A lot of it is nostalgia. A lot of it is the storytelling, and I was always, um, I always really love the stories between the cracks. I grew up with the myths and legends of our people, but I always really loved thinking about the stories in between, like the clone troopers, different warriors within our legends and that. And, you know, there's always an end point to those stories, but uh, I was always curious how far they could have gone or where they gone af- had gone after that. So what draws me to Star Wars, I guess, is the soldiers and the clone troopers, um, those smaller stories like that. And, you know, you grow up with the prequels, you learn to appreciate characters in the background for sure so yeah Yeah. the the imagery the smaller people that don't have you know mystical abilities to lift starships and that just i always love the everyday joe within the universe just the guy in the background trying to get a coffee while you know anakin's crashing a starship into the middle of the road yeah when does he not crash anything oh yeah yeah you uh, you're probably one of the most prolific illustrators of the clones I've, I've seen in yeah. the Star Wars community. Uh, how would you describe your style? Ooh, um, hmm. I, I always really loved comic books. Um, there's a lot of different stuff that's mixed in in between. I really love ink work. So I've taken to making my ink work a lot stronger digitally. Whenever I was like leaving college and that, I started to actually work a little bit more digitally. And since then, I've switched completely over to using like my Wacom tablet and Photoshop and that. But I basically do the same thing I would do if I did it traditionally, where I'd start with my ink work. And I always like to study like Frank Frazetta, Frank Miller, you know, Stanley. I mean, his stories, obviously, and Jack Kirby and that. So a lot of my obsession was over ink work and then the color in that came a little bit after i always really loved having like muted tones i didn't like images and that were that were like a little bit too loud if that makes sense i guess i could say it's like a graphic novel type approach with a little bit of traditional knowledge mixed in between there because i still approach it as if it's you know a watercolor because that's what i had worked in uh the most whenever i was at school so i'd like 
work everything digitally or I'd work everything ink and then I would scan it and then I would do my watercolors over top. And that's what most of my senior work was, was a lot of that. So many people are Star Wars fans, but you're also like one of the biggest, like, in my opinion, like KOTOR artists out there. What, what draws you to KOTOR? <laughs> a lot of nostalgia as well. Growing up with Star Wars and that, there was different stories and comics and video games I came to a lot later on. I'm indigenous. I grew up on a reservation and it took me a while to get any type of video game, any type of console, but uh, we always had movies. So my father always really uh, liked to sit me down and have me watch something just so I would calm down for 20 minutes. You know, I was really, uh, I was really rowdy. I ran all over the place. I was always outside. So I went to my uncle's and my uncle, he lived in a smaller apartment. Uh, across the river he was off reservation and it was kind of a rougher neighborhood um, not the greatest area for a little indige kid to run around in and he had a game he knew I liked Star Wars I had just watched it with my father uh, I think we watched the original trilogy um, straight through in like an afternoon and I just remember being transfixed and he heard that I had really liked it and was buying like the getting the toys and pretending I was you know a Jedi out in the backyard and you know, chopping at trees and stuff. And he introduced me to this game. He sat me down and he's like, okay, make a decision. I was like, what? I don't remember what point I was at in the game, but he started asking me what I would say, like reading the options in that. So I, I really, I really enjoyed it for that. So my earliest exposure was that. So I'd get off the bus and um, get driven over to his house and he'd babysit me until like late into the night and I would just sit there watch like He-Man and Transformers and then play KOTOR and he had the the Prima the the uh, source book the the guidebook so I'd go oh, through yeah. whenever he was playing and I'd read that and look at all the images and stuff and I, I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed the storytelling and the imagery I eventually got an Xbox of my own probably when I was like 12 or 13 uh, up until that point it was all just sticks and dirt for me and drawing of course and yeah uh, I got KOTOR 2 and I really enjoyed it but I felt like something was missing which even to like a young kid I felt like that was an odd stance for me to take like it felt incomplete and then come to find out years and years later you know it is a an accomplishment of a game but yeah there is so much that was you know cut out but they managed to get so much done within that year and all the imagery, all the characters, they they really stuck with me. I, I really enjoyed the the storytelling, the characters, and just how strong they were, and the conviction and the decisions that you could make as the character, as the uh, player character. It was really crazy. It was uh, opened my brain, opened my world, I guess. Yeah, it's a prolific game with an excellent narrative and. Mm -hmm great world building and excellent characters like even with knights of the old republic 2 like it was unfinished but just like years later i'm just like kreia was probably the one like one of the top three best written oh, yeah. star wars characters of all time and so i mean here i i mean i'm still talking about kotor all these <laughs> years later and there there's a there's a big KOTOR community so yeah I was yeah. really happy to find that and to see that because 
just within my own like little nerdy community, I would be talking about Star Wars and be like, oh yeah, the clones are cool. And I'm like, yeah, the clones are great. Have you played KOTOR? Do you know what KOTOR is? And then just blank faces. And I don't know, finding a, a, a wider community, I guess you could say, the wider community of KOTOR fans online has given me more uh, confidence, I guess, to draw those characters. Because I know I drew Scion and I drew Revan and I drew all these people during college. And <laughs> I went from being like the nerdy guy to like the deep tier nerdy guy. And just like, we don't even yeah. know. He's speaking the deep magics. He, he knows the deep lores. I have no idea where this is anymore. What, what, what the heck is this? A Star Forge. <laughs> but it was really cool to find that. Yeah. yeah, so we'll be recapping KOTOR, the, the Kashyyyk section, in a second. But uh, before we do that, I just wanted to take a quick break to thank Lorg and Nikki Dog for supporting us on Patreon as a Padawan initiate and a Knight of the Old Republic, respectively. And if you're curious about our Patreon, it can be found in our Instagram profile's bio. So our Instagram profile is Ebonhawk Podcast, and you can find the link to our Patreon in that bio and also at www.patreon.com forward slash Ebonhawk Podcast. So diving into KOTOR, like Kashik. When I replayed KOTOR as an adult for this podcast, I really began to realize like how much went over my head as a kid mm -hmm. with all the layers in the writing, like looking at even just terrorists, like yeah. they really they really hit the classicism, racism and plagues and then Kashik for me as like a white person, I still like saw the issues of colonialism slavery mm -hmm. police brutality and deforestation and because i i'd seen your profile and I, i've loved your art but you also talk about the in indigenous experience on your profile i i've learned a lot and when i was when i was playing kotor when you first land they talk about how the wookies call this planet kashik but we call like zorka corporation calls it this number or Adian, it was renamed yeah. by G five six two three Adian. What yeah. a what a and fancy it, name. Yeah, when I when I was playing it, I was like, oh, that reminds me of something you posted about like how I forget who it was, but an, an explorer renamed a, a lot of Canada, and he was just kind of like cruising by, and a lot of those names are are still used, but. You you said in your post like these places already had names and I was like oh like Huni would be excellent to to have on to kind of discuss these things so yeah um, I think that would be James Cook or you know the French uh, came through and renamed some things but yeah it's uh, it's what we call cultural erosion or you know re relabeling things. You look at the Zerka Corporation itself, and they have a lot to profit from this planet. They have, you know, these the slaves really um, of the Wookies and these natural resources, and that's a classic part of um, Manifest Destiny of the colonial narrative, which Indigenous people, myself included, have been railing against for generations. Really, in grade school, uh, we covered 
indigenous history in an afternoon, which speaks to um, how the American education system handles indigenous people. We went from the Trail of Tears talking about, oh, that was pretty sad, that was bad, you know, and then the indigenous people were gone. And then we jumped straight into the industrial era and talked about the trains. And then there was no more conversation about indigenous people or indigenous culture or their struggles or the fact that we're not one conglomerate. There is over 500 nations just in like the US and Canada. And they'd like to be, you know, globbed into one thing, one image, mostly headdresses and that and teepees. But we're as varied as any other collective of, you know, nations. We're as varied through our language, our culture, our beliefs. There's a lot of common truths between any people you'll find, you know, connection to the land, to the spiritual world, to, you know, one another. And Haudenosaunee people, we have a great law of peace. And that's our first point of preference whenever we come into contact with a new people, with a new culture. There's a, a lot that goes into that, but yeah, renaming is one of the first steps. And then second is dehumanizing the people. And yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that Star Wars is such a vehicle for conversations like this and topics like this that you'd never think from the outside looking in that there's these deeper meanings and these deeper connections to real world and like the real history that have gone into you know, founding these places to taking these resources to the subjugation of these people. And yeah, these are you know, big walking carpets, but the story and everything, the truths behind it are concrete. These are things that have happened and continue to happen. For those who are unaware, Kashik is the home planet of the Wookiees, and in Knights of the Old Republic, you have a Wookiee companion. His name is Zalabar, and he has some unresolved issues here on Kashik. He was living on Terrace, but he is accompanying Revan and the Evanhawk crew on their quest for the Starforge. Zalbar has to deal with some issues back at home, but I was struck how much I'd forgotten, or maybe I just didn't pay attention as a kid, but you go to the Zerka store and there's literally an unconscious Wookiee in a cage. Yeah. And you get the sense that Zerka is really definitely exploiting the environment of Kashik, which happens all, all over the world, really. Mm -hmm. And I think we're definitely seeing that in the present day, like, we're gonna, like, be like, oh, wait, that was bad, and we shouldn't have done it, maybe realizing that too late. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, uh, the approach that Zerka takes, um, I think you encounter a guard uh, just before you head into the Shadowlands, and I've taken down the, the quote here. You ask this guard as the player character what their thoughts are on the, on the Wookiees, and they say they're big, difficult, and worth more caged and shipped off this rock. And that goes right back into what I was saying before. They're dehumanizing these sentient creatures, ignoring that they have a culture, that they have communication, they have, you know, they're, they are a nation and they're just being exploited and used. And the narrative around them is that, oh, they're big and dangerous. Therefore, you know, they, they're the chaff that needs to be cut. They're the weeds that needs to be cut from this world. And, oh boy, that is a, that is a common thing. 
um, whenever it comes to clearing territory and lands from indigenous people. That is a very, very common thought and a common story. You look at the Apache, you look at the Comanche, you look at um, the Haudenosaunee, uh, the Mohawk, our people were considered to be big and strong and powerful. And that goes into, um, there's three main points of representation whenever it comes to indigenous people in media. Those being the savage Indian, the mystical Indian, and the brave. I'm forgetting the third, but I think Big Z is the main one that we we encounter that's like helping the protagonist, helping along. You could think of like Sacagawea as that archetype. I mean, she was a bold person, but within media, within the narrative that's been claimed as like, oh yeah, these are the good ones that we can trust. Not saying that Big Z is just one of those, but it's a way to dehumanize, label, and then subjugate. It's uh, tried and true, sadly, uh, within the real world. There are some Zerka employees who like don't even understand Shrywook, which is the yeah. Wookiee's language, and they're like, oh, they can just learn basic, it's fine, like, I don't need to know it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, kind of mirrors real history. And the uh, the ignoring of the uh, indigenous language is definitely a uh, a common thing. It's seen as devilry. I, I think if we go back to religious scripture and that that was another approach that was taken to dehumanizing and removing indigenous peoples from their lands. It was seen as satanic. It was seen as pagan. It was seen as it was thrown. All these labels were thrown on it because. You know, we don't understand it. We're not going to learn it. And it's the language of, you know, these savage peoples. It's primitive uh, as the person that you uh, you greet on the way in, uh, talking about Kashyyyk itself. The name itself, it's uh, savage language, so we're just going to ignore it. You know, we're giving them language. We're giving them um, our culture. Uh, they should be grateful. Uh, in my own experience, I had... Uh, a teacher that failed me uh, in art class, uh, funny enough, for speaking my language. There was only three or four of us within that class because we we're in a predominantly white uh, school system just because it was, uh, it looked better on paper for getting uh, college applications. And um, yeah, we, we didn't have the biggest grasp on our language. Uh, we didn't grow up with it um, within the household. So there were stronger speakers within the school, and we had Mohawk class. There was a teacher from within the community that came in and taught us, you know, and it was a, it felt like a safe space for indigenous students at that school. And myself and another friend of mine were some of the strongest speakers within our grade. And this teacher came up to us and slammed a pen on the desk and told us to stop speaking that, speaking that gibberish. I don't remember the exact quote that she threw at us, but that was the um, that was the tone that was the vibe and her rationale was well I don't understand what it what you're saying therefore you can't speak it in class and we were literally 13 however old and she was afraid of us speaking our language speaking to each other and realistically the conversation was as casual and harmless as it could be we were just learning how to greet each other and ask each other about our day and 
there was no double-handed nature to it. And yet, because she felt threatened by it, she uh, told us to stop and approached yeah. it in such a hostile way. And I don't need to get all the way into it, but in the end, the school board that held that up, it was revealed a good portion of them were <laughs> local white supremacists and KKK members. And they, they expunged the Mohawk language from the school. They fired the teacher and said that Mohawk wouldn't be spoken at that school because it's, uh, it's not mandatory for the student body. But oh, it was wow. uh, nice I'm... to have it while it was there. Uh, I've never fully recovered the language, but I'm, I'm working on that. I'd like to be fluent one day, but it is a process. And if you don't grow up with it within your household, it is incredibly difficult to pick up later in life. But yeah, wow. so that speaks to me a lot, the, uh, the, the repression of the language within this narrative. It's also a, a big truth and a big obstacle that indigenous people face for sure. Yeah, I'm so sorry. And <laughs> no worries. If anyone fails anyone for art, like she also just didn't. Obviously, like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, she should not have failed you for art. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was pretty biased because I don't know. I I stayed after school pretty often to work on my projects because I loved doing the art. But like looking at the pile of pieces that I had made, you couldn't say well, this is a student that isn't paying attention. He's not applying himself. It was a bias. She was racist. She didn't, she didn't like any of the native kids within the class. I won't drop any names, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. Speaking of languages, Zalbar has a family. Uh, his father is Freyr. Zalbar's brother is Churndar. And mm -hmm. you kind of get the vibe that Churndar is not a good Wookiee. I was no. going to say, not a good dude, but I'm like, eh, he's yeah. a Wookiee. So. <laughs> and Churndar is forcing uh, his subjects to learn basic. Zalbar gets taken hostage until a situation is taken care of in the Shadowlands. Mm -hmm. And so the player character, Revan, is quested to investigate the Shadowlands and the vibe I get is that it's a sacred area to the Wookiees. Is that what you kind of got out of it? Yeah, for sure. Um, we hear a lot about the Shadowlands and other media and that, and that it is such a dangerous uh, area. And I feel like maybe that's something to do with the, uh, the creatures that they hunt in that area. Because I know that there's territorial land that is held sacred to many people and is respected just where I work, uh, the Thousand Islands area was a shared territory between um, the Algonquin people and the uh, and the Mohawk and the Haudenosaunee. Uh, it was respected as an area that was so abundant in these in, in game. You know, they came, they got what they needed, and you know they broke bread. They shared stories, and had, like I had mentioned, that was the first point of contact for our people. It was a uh, a powerful area, a uh, respected area. It was a sacred area. And I'm curious if that's kind of how the Shadowlands are seen as well for the Wookiees, because it's, uh, I'm sure it's bountiful. I'm sure they need to get what they get and 
climb up those uh, rosier trees. I think they're called. Uh, yeah. Get all the way back to their to their village and like, oh look what I got! I got this week's dinner. Because I think the star map, it's a dark sided kind of machine, and I think it kind of makes the animals there, like the wildlife, like the katarns, kind of more aggressive, but. I do get the sense that uh, Wookiees are deeply connected to the Shadowlands and that it means a lot to them. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, and I'm curious if the Tatch, is there is there any significance to them? Like, is there a reason that they're so bountiful? Like, they're just everywhere in that area. And I, uh, <laughs> is it bad I'm not, meat? <laughs> I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. I do know in Jedi Fallen Order, yeah, there's also tax in <laughs> in that game. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, another reason that KOTOR is canon. You know, I'm yeah. not reaching or anything, but it's canon. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I remember playing that mission and running through the trees, and I was having a great time. And then I saw the tatch, and I heard the noise, and I just had flashbacks. <laughs> And then I saw I saw a meme that I really enjoyed that said, uh, "Here I go killing again." <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean. Yep. Maybe anyway. tax kind of represent like just general wildlife you can find in yeah. natural areas, the rainforest, but True. they There's... make a whole lot of noise. My goodness. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot of looped noise. Um, one of the Zirka guards actually mentions that the Wookiee hunters are usually keep the numbers down in the area. I'm sure that's because they're they're hunting and that's their their territory. But they're now leaving areas infested, hoping that Zirka boys will get killed by the uh, the local wildlife. Which I'm curious yeah. how how much of the the Tatch in that area are literally just left to annoy Zirka um, yeah. employees walking the grounds. That um, would be funny. <laughs> That's my yeah. that's my headcanon. Zerka employees are pretty complicit in a lot of things. And oh, yeah. Before you come across a bounty hunter from Terrace, Kalonord, you see Zerka employees ganging up on a on a Wookiee, mm-hmm. and I just kind of read it as police brutality, you know? Yeah. The abuse of power. That is a, a really, really touchy subject uh, these days. Yeah. I mean, just look at BLM, just look at, you know, uh, we don't have to get all the way into it, but it really is, uh, goes along with that narrative of dehumanizing the the one that's subjugated. He's, you know, just seen as wild, he's seen as savage, I'm sure, and that goes into justifying their actions. It goes into justifying a lot of actions uh, taken by law enforcement towards certain groups of people. Sorry. It came out in 2003, you know, so yeah. just, it's interesting to see what from history kind of just keeps on repeating. And I don't know, it, it trying to fix patterns like I'm like, oh, there's there's a lot of work to be done. And I just hope that it does get done. And yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's going to yeah. take some time because those are some pretty well uh, well walked routes. It it is a it is a very deep and complicated subject. But yeah, there is so much bias towards certain people, and it's it's really harsh and really sad to see. Ironically, most of these people are protesting peacefully. Yeah, when I played the game, 
we kind of were like looking at how to adapt, you know, Kotor cinematically. And in my mind, I see the first movie as Terrace, Dantooine, and then Kashik. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I go to Kashik, you you fight Kalo Nord there. Um, I believe his canonical death happened elsewhere, but yeah, I was curious about that. Um, in my review, I, I I saw that he well he's notoriously hard to kill, but um, he meets an end on Kashik, but also I think his canonical end is on uh, Tatooine, correct? Yep. But then. You come across Jolie Bindo, who is a legendary KOTOR character, probably in pe- most people's top three characters from the game. And yeah. he is voiced by the great Kevin Michael Richardson, who also goes on to voice Jace Malcolm in SWOTOR mm. and so many other games and, and shows, really, but a great voice. Yeah. Yeah, he is he is in a lot. He is wow, he has had a huge career. If Kotor were to be adapted, were were there any actors you would like to see in that role? I think the most popular pick I see is Keith David and we had talked about it before and yeah, I think he would be a really great pick because he has such a gravitas to his voice, but he's I feel like he could really portray that um that tired old man that's seen it all and <laughs> I think one of his lines is that he's seen both extremes of the light and the dark and both annoy him. Uh, yeah. I think I think it's such a he's such a classic character and uh I took I took a very professional note earlier uh, in my research. Is Jolie Bindo the most relatable Jedi there is? I think he's definitely a great one. It yeah. would be interesting to see how him being a gray Jedi would be Mm -hmm. adapted, but um, I think you could do a lot with him. I mean, like, I mean, Ahsoka is technically not a Jedi in her later years, but she's still basically a Jedi, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Me and my my girlfriend talk about that a lot, like the fact that she is not a Jedi, but she is the most Jedi, non-Jedi there is, and I feel like that, applies a lot as well to Jolie. Yeah. Did you get the vibe that Jolie knew who Revan was the whole time? I haven't played it in a little bit, but I don't think he... If he knew, I don't think he cared. I think he was just along for the ride to see how things played out. Um, Yeah. Because I know at his heart, at his center, he is of the light, but I'm curious if how much of that was like, well, you know, if I can help out or lend a hand or... You know, maybe steer him in the right direction I can. Yeah, I mean, I got the vibe that Jolene knew, but he's not going to just be like, hey, mm-hmm. you're Revan. You know, I think he was yeah. just kind of waiting to see how things played out and kind of just follow the will of the Force, kind of like Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah, but, just goes with the flow. Yeah. I'm curious, yeah. he must have, yeah, along that line, he must have recognized Revan as well, right, from the, the Academy days, unless he left before he had risen um i think he i think he left but i think the way he kind of was able to sense it was either through the force or like when they come up come across the star map and it's kind of like here's some really not subtle foreshadowing that you're revving you know but yeah (laughs) it was it was kind of funny but 
Uh, he really Joey. should have given a lot of side eye to him whenever he came to the uh, the star map, right? And it just unlocked. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that I'm like, huh? In a in a movie, would that be too much? Like, I'm like, yeah. hmm. It, it's just something to think about. But Jolie does mention that the Jedi aren't really helping the Wookies. They're mm-hmm. kind of more concerned about the star map. And I mean, I think that's just one example. You can kind of see like Jolie is kind of more aligned with I would say good than the Jedi Council on Dantooine I would say yeah I mean the Jedi Council on Dantooine they they send you to solve problems that are maybe like a couple hundred yards from the the temple itself so uh, I'm sure they're you know kind of blase about the plight of the Wookiees a lot of things kind of happen in the Kashyyyk section mm-hmm. um you kind of find Freyr, you kill a, a great beast. You also find the star map, and, like, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of foreshadowing going on. I kind of think, like, in an adaptation, I would want... I would want Zalbar to kind of have more agency and, like, yeah. kind of, like, be more part of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it's hard when... Wookiees don't really communicate the way that people are kind of used to hearing. I don't know if there would be subtitles yeah. or something, but I think it can be done. I definitely agree with you. Um, I think it would be really interesting if we follow the player character until after he leaves the ship, and then maybe we could jump back to Big Z looking out of the uh, the Ebon Hawk's windows and seeing the the Rocher trees and. Maybe he steps out and he can, you know, he he smells the air in that, and maybe he gets a good like chest full of the air, and maybe we get some flashbacks. You know, uh, we don't have a lot of those in Star Wars itself, but I feel like a lot of that could be achieved through visual storytelling. Uh, Maybe whenever he is come, whenever he comes back to the village, whenever he's brought into see uh, his brother Chundar, maybe. There's some memories within that hut. Maybe there's some memories within their domicile or just looking out the window and you could see ghosts or like his memories playing out of them as children. Um, Chundar is the runt in that. Maybe we could get little hints and pieces of that um, backstory to why Chundar is such a, you know, a jerk now that he was overlooked by their father, Freyr, and maybe Big Z was, you know, the uh, the star quarterback of sorts, and he was just in his shadow, uh, Loki and Thor type of relationship. And yeah. now that he's into he's in power. It's you know just all Chundar. It's all Loki. I I think that would be the best way to approach it, in my opinion. Just a lot of visual storytelling because we don't want <laughs> uh, twenty minutes of. Uh, Wookie growling and Shri Rook. Not to say that it's not a beautiful language on its own, but you know we've all seen, or some of us have seen the holiday special and know how that goes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're telling a story in a movie, I remember talking to someone and I was like, "The Rise of Skywalker just starts, and you see yeah. Kylo Ren." like just kind of <laughs> killing some people and then it's like later I had to figure out like oh those were Vader cultists they were bad people it was it was probably a good thing that Kylo was just killing them and I was like why couldn't they just like 
I don't know, kind of give more context in the movie so it's not just like random stuff is happening and you talk to yeah. some people and they're like, but then they would have to take 15 minutes to explain it. And I was like, no, you just like, with framing, like color symbolism and like the score, you can get a, you can get a lot across like to an audience, like yeah. maybe just in 15 seconds, you know, like, cause replaying this game, I was like, the Kashuk section, I was like, this is a whole lot of me reading subtitles and it's kind of taking a mm -hmm. long time. And I'm always just kind of thinking about how could this be adapted? And I was like, this is actually a, a pretty compelling story. And I think like you can just streamline it. So it's kind of down to like kind of more simplified causes and effects. But I think everyone can get behind it, you know? Yeah. And it's Wookiees reclaiming their homeland yep. like from an oppressor and You'll I think everyone can, everyone can get behind that, you know. And yeah. it can be told simply and Zalbar can be more part of the story, I think. Maybe he could even go down with Revan and like be like we need to do this, like I need to help my people become free of Zerka and my brother, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it goes back to that classic Elijah Wood thing, right? Where like well how how could we how could we know that i'm forgetting the tweet offhand now but yeah there's a there's a lot of storytelling that you could achieve visually just i think just having big z casually walk around the village itself with uh maybe chundar's escort or maybe with chundar himself but yeah there's you know there's a lot of story present there's a lot of story there and there's a lot of story that could be told once Zalbar returns, um, there's a lot of if onlys that I, I have approaching this uh, this bit of the story, where I really wish that we could see like the Wookiee art. What is the what is the art on Kashyyyk look like? Are these yeah. bins and these wicker baskets around? Are they more decorative or are they more you know utilitarian? Because within Haudenosaunee culture, there's a lot of utility to the items that we use, but we always personalize them in some type of way. There was some kind of embroidery work or, you know, markings or are adorning them. Um, there's a lot of symbology, yeah. uh, a lot of lang visual language that um, could be, you know, put across on these items. And I think that would be really cool. I mean, we see a lot more of that in uh, Revenge of the Sith, just in the background of like the Wookiees with yeah. their armor in that. And these aren't, uh, a wholly primitive people the sword of baka it's mentioned it's it's an older blade correct like yeah. so they've had this for a good while it's not like they're just being introduced to you know sword and steel like they've they they are an advanced culture but they're seen and labeled as savages and i wish we <laughs> i wish we could have seen more of that like the artwork the uh maybe the music i, I don't know yeah what <laughs> uh a Shri Rook chorus would sound like, but I'm down to see it. Yeah, I mean, what makes Star Wars great is the world building. Yeah. I mean, like, Kashik was only, like, on screen, I want to say, for, like, five minutes in mm -hmm. Return, or not Return of the Sith, Revenge of the Sith, and, but it made a pretty good impression. I was like, it would be really cool to see, like, 4,000 years previously and spending more time there you could get more of a sense of the Wookiees culture yeah. and what you're saying, like what they build, 
what they consider beautiful, what their art is, yeah. and just kind of like replaying this. I'm like, it gets me excited and I want to see more because I think this section of the story touches on like so many issues that are important to so many people and kind of I feel like people are more aware of them than ever before. And mm-hmm. it would just be interesting to see like what what kind of dialogue could come out of it you know yeah like, for sure because i think a, a lot of good can maybe this is me being a naive person but i think like fiction can help break down some of the walls that are in society it can increase empathy and just kind of create more realization and connections but i don't know like yeah that's just that's just me thinking <laughs> yeah I, I definitely fully agree with that that's sci-fi itself is a great vehicle for explaining those those larger concepts of like you know yeah racism colonialism these types of things like they can all be approached in sci-fi and these stories told and made you know a little bit more digestible for the general population uh, they've been it's been used as a vehicle for these conversations for so so long and Suffice to say, sci-fi is definitely my favorite uh, favorite genre of media out there right now. I'm always team light side here at the Ebon Hawk mm-hmm. podcast, but um, Revan is able to figure out the star map, and Zalbar makes his choice to side with his father against his uh, misled brother, and mm-hmm. the Wookiees rise up against, against Zerka, and... Zalbar, it's foreshadowed like he's going to be chief one day. He has Baca's blade has been entrusted to him. I guess. I I think just going back to maybe we cut to Big Z's perspective. He's walking around the village. He's seeing these you know phantoms of the past. Ooh, that's a cool phrase. Anyway, <laughs> a little pat on the back there. He's seeing these little images and these memories playing out, playing out. And maybe as he's going, he can see. You know, we don't fully understand, you know, obviously off the bat, but, you know, his friends from childhood. Um, I was thinking about it watching uh, clips last night. Chundar's, like, closest guard, his, like, most loyal Wookiees, what are they getting out of this situation? Are they just serving, you know, the, the writ of their people, serving the chieftain of the time, the, the new... Um, the leader just because he's their leader or are they benefiting in some way as well like Big Z mentions you know there were people that would rise up there will continue to be Wookiees that will rise up against him and I wish we had gotten like a little bit of a hint towards that which ones of these Wookiees had doubts uh, with their leader had doubts knowing that Chundar was benefiting and was breaking bread with uh, their oppressor, with Zerka. Not only broke bread, but had them within his court, had them guarding his body. And he continuously threatens the player and Zalbar that um, none of these Wookiees would dare betray him. And Big Z, you know, has his counter to that, saying that, no, 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 there's, there's Wookiees that are going to oppose you. And I wish we had seen a little bit more of the... Uh, Wookiee uprising in that way, maybe Big Z in these littler ways, finding out which ones he could trust, maybe in looks, maybe in like signals or 
I'm not sure, but it would be a lot of visual storytelling because we couldn't have, you know, 20 solid minutes of growling at one another and yeah, you know, just a lot of eye acting, which, you know, that's, that's a big role for anybody within uh, a Wookiee costume. I think actors and uh, storytellers could have a lot of fun with this, with this kind of section. Like, it doesn't have to be like, just like, like you say, like 20 minutes of growling, like. Yeah. You, can, you can handle so much with this and I'm like ooh this is a fun writing opportunity and I'm like yeah. my mind is just going in a, a few <laughs> different directions and I'm like ooh this is exciting yeah so. yeah it's it there's a lot of stories to be told with the Wookiee people and I'm, I'm here for all of it I don't know I did enjoy the holiday special for you know that aspect and seeing them in more of a, a modern home and and setting and uh, the stir whipster 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 that was uh, that was a good time but yeah there's yeah. a lot of storytelling that you can achieve just through you know looks and um you know eye acting you know peter may you did such a good job within that role to give off such a such a warm and welcoming vibe what does that look like whenever you have wookies scheming just visually just having conversations without growling without muttering a word to one another like, can I trust you? I trust you, or you know, I, I, no, I'm I'm with Chundar. Like those conversations, those little looks and things, it'd be really great to see. Are you ready for this question from Astrodroid? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm 100. All right. Done. So one of our patrons, Astrodroid, asked, Kashuk has a long history of being occupied, Zerka, Trade Federation, and Empire. Due to the natural resources, slavery, and the strategical location, is Kashyyyk always going to be seen as a prize to be won in the galaxy? During the Clone Wars, the Wookiees are fighting alongside the Jedi and the Republic Army. Then when Order 66 happens, the, the Galactic Empire is established, and the Clone Army instantly goes from being allies to oppressors. Like, What does that question kind of like make you think? It makes me think of every broken treaty between um, a governmental body and indigenous people. Um, you can make grandiose stands and alliances, but in the end, there's always some kind of trade-off between the aggressor and the oppressed. There's always something that something hidden within that contract or um, some resource or some way that they're actually trying to scheme and it doesn't matter uh, you've you've signed this thing and it's going to be it's going to be torn it's going to be ignored whenever they find something valuable within that territory within that land with or of those people really which is uh another truth within our space opera that is uh still prevalent today really and you see the um the Imperials try to rename Kashyyyk as well. I think it was uh, Imperial District such and such. They tried to uh, wipe it off the map as well, just to um, you know avoid. Well, you know we're we're doing what Zerka did. We're doing what generations past have did, and we're <laughs> we're exploiting the the people themselves for our our gain, our Death Star, our needs. It is interesting how Kashyyyk. I, I don't know if it was intentional or, like, when A New Hope was established or when the holiday special was established, but I, I, I'm i just becoming, like, more aware. I'm like, oh, man, there are so many parallels, like, for 
indigenous populations all over the world with Kashik. Then I, yeah. I was like, is that meant to, was that how it was envisioned or did that just kind of come about with the storytelling? But I mean, even just thinking of the Force Unleashed, there's a level that happens. Yeah. There's a few levels that happen on Kashik and you kind of see how the Wookiees there, they were on the the Republic side and that fighting off uh, the Trade Federation and then the Empire was enslaving Wookiees to work on the Death Star and, and kind of build it for them. Yeah. You know? and I think that goes into, you know, you chose what seemed like the right ally at the time, but you didn't know that they had, you know, a grand scheme and a grand plan and false intentions for this alliance. It's, uh, it, it's sad because, you know, they... The Republic and um, the Wookiees had such a you know, great fighting chance against the uh, the Separatists at the end of the war there, and such a you know partnership with um, them taking out the Trandoshans, those slavers as well, because there's always that conflict between those two, and we see you know so much more representation of the uh, the Wookiee people and their culture in that, and we get our introduction to the Raik blade. Which I also, you know, to step back a little bit again, I wish that the sword of Baka was a little bit more curved, a little bit more in line with that Wookiee design. It looks so cool. <laughs> I don't know. I have to, in my mind, I have to believe that after KOTOR, after Zerka is fought back, that there was some peace before, like, the Trade Federation and the Clone Wars, but... I guess there are patterns in history, but I guess I guess that means that people can always choose to align with good and to listen to each other and to be better, you know. But yeah, and that yeah. that trauma of the past. I'm sure there's, you know, I'm not sure offhand um, how long the Wookiees live, but you know, there's generations and generations. We have generational trauma within. Uh, our Haudenosaunee people of the uh, residential schools of that type of uh, genocide, extermination against our people, and that affects us to this day. And I'd really hope in my mind that, you know, with the light side ending that you get, that Big Z maybe has an understanding, um, or, you know, maybe uh, Freyer just knew that Z was going to outlive uh, Revan in one way or another. And just knew that eventually Big Z would be coming back to claim that blade, to claim his uh, throne, to protect his people against Zerka. And I'd really love to think that Big Z grew old with, you know, mission as uh, their spokesperson, um, grew old and passed on his planet and maybe got, you know, whatever ceremony goes along with that um, to defend his people, uh, to maintain that peace and to protect the generations going forward. Because within, again, Haudenosaunee culture, we're always considering the seventh generation, not just ours, not just our children or our children's children. We're thinking far ahead to the seventh generation to enjoy, ensure that they have you know, a better life and expectancy and the same types of um, things we enjoy here today on this earth with uh, the environment and with the waters being clean and we fight yeah. for that. And I hope Big Z, you know, had like a, a similar idea. It'd be really great if we could go back to Kash, uh, Kashyyyk 
and see maybe like a a monument to Big Z, the uh, the chieftain, the noble chieftain, the wise, truly the wise, because Chundar claimed that title and claimed those uh, accolades yeah. falsely. But I, I think Zalbar, because of the journeys he goes on, would be an excellent leader, and he overcame yeah. a lot of troubles and. I don't know. I think he would be an excellent leader. And... For sure. Yeah. yeah. He's he's well traveled, well learned, and you know, at at his core, he is a he's a good person. He's a good sentient. He's a good leader. And um, again, Nishoni culture, we elect our leaders. We choose our leaders. They're um, they're monitored. They're kept in mind from childhood. Our faith keepers. They have their eye on children within the community um, that could be chiefs, but we we ensure that they have a family of their own before they take on any type of leadership role to ensure that they know what it's like to um, be fearful, to want to protect something that's yours, something so close to you. And the nation, the people, the culture are seen as that. Because yeah. if, you're, if you're in the lead and you have this power without that, without a center, like a solid concrete center, then, you know, uh, that's where you get into trouble. Yeah, that, that's very wise. What would you say you hope people take away from uh, the Kashik section of KOTOR or anything else you want listeners to take away? Just that the Wookiees should be free, that they should be free to govern themselves, to elect their own path forward, and the planet should be given back to Big Z. And we know that Zirka, I don't know if this is a spoilery thing for the podcast, but is Loki Sith. So I hope that there would be an alliance uh, recognition of their statehood, of their nationhood, of their being a people rather than being you know big walking carpets that are difficult to manage and great as slaves i i, I hope that they can be recognized as um, a government as a nation of their own and treated as such as you know we hope for for any indigenous people that that's the first point of contact not what can we gain from this relationship but what can we gain from this friendship this trade-off of meeting of minds and stories and history. For my review, I watched the Star Wars KOTOR movie saga, or movie trilogy on YouTube. And yeah. I really enjoyed um, that interpretation of uh, the the ending because we get you know um, a little dance sequence, and we see Big Z getting down dancing with a with a female Wookiee. You know maybe <laughs> maybe that's uh, his his future wife whenever he returns, a childhood friend. But um, I really enjoyed that. Um, just shout out to that creator that content was was really great and gave me a, a really good chuckle last night kevin smith he does great work with the kotor movie saga and he he was a great guest for our 50th episode and we hope he's doing well and uh making a great recovery yeah. so hashtag smash cancer all the way 
Where can our listeners find you? Um, I guess Huni D on Instagram, H O N N I D. It's pronounced Huni David, as in D for David. So it's like, who am I looking at? And your knee, the thing connecting your leg to the rest of your leg. So yeah, that's where folks can find me. Um, I'm working on a lot of stuff in my own professional life uh, on the side, uh, but I do take commissions. But you know, it, it, each one of these pieces takes me six hours plus, which was a thing that we did in college and uh, university. So. That's an approach I've taken to each one of these drawings, even if it's just a little blue elephant man singing his heart out. I, uh, I approach them with that type of structure in mind, as well as my KOTOR pieces. But yep, that's my, uh, my main front. I have an imprint page if anybody's looking for prints. Um, and yeah, I just set up my website recently as well. So those are the three spots you can find me and all that information is in my bio on my instagram page awesome thank you so much for coming on and may the force be with you you can find the ebonhawk podcast on instagram at ebonhawk podcast the ebonhawk podcast can be found on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts as well as everywhere else that anchor podcasts are distributed subscriptions reviews and shares help us out immensely our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Schurman at alistair.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been the Ebon Hawk Podcast. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.